church and I've had various people coming up here and um, sharing their testimonies. Why am I doing that? It's because I want you to get to know them. I mean, I know a lot of people in the church and a lot of people I know in church you don't know at all. And I like you to hear their story. Uh, but don't misunderstand me. When I have someone come up here to share a testimony or share their story, I don't want you to think that I'm expecting you to agree with everything that's in their life. You know, Charlie got up here, and bless Charlie's heart, they're not here this morning, Leith is sick. Um, but, you know, Charlie got up here and talked about him being himself. And he likes to wear makeup. He's an 80s rocker kind of guy. A lot of people think he looks like a girl. I, I just, I wanted Charlie to come up here so that you could meet him because a lot of you would never take the time to sit down with this man and get to know his heart. A lot of you wouldn't know that he knows more scripture than half the people in this building. A lot of you would look at him and think that he was a mission field, and the truth is he has mission field in his mind. He has a ministry in his heart. I want him to get up here not because you'll agree with him. I'm, I want him to come up here and speak so that you'll love him, so that you'll have an opportunity to know him and to love him. And love and acceptance and understanding they're pretty much in short supply in our church and in the world, in any church. I don't know why that is. The place that should be the most accepting, the most tolerant, the most understanding, sometimes can be the, the most narrow-minded and difficult place to introduce anything different. You know, we're living in perilous times. We're living in a confusing time. There's so much unrest and turmoil in the world. Just this past Saturday, well, eight days ago, 22 people just killed in a Walmart in El Paso. 22 people, innocent people, and two dozen more wounded. One of them is young as four months old. What, 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 kind, of, what kind of mind... Well, it's got to be demon-possessed. I mean, there's no other explanation. It's just a perilous time. It's a confusing time. There's a white man that's in, you know, he's a suspect, and he's been arrested. 21 years old. Goes in and shoots all these people. Drove 10 hours, <laughs> 10 hours from Allen, Texas, to El Paso, Texas, to kill people five miles from the Juarez crossing border. Why in the world would he do that? He didn't just want to shoot people. He wanted to shoot Hispanic people. How do they know that? Because they found a note in his room, in his home, the shooter's home, denouncing the increased Hispanic population in Texas. He gave that as a reason for his killings, to drive 10 hours across the state, to go into a Walmart five miles from the border and shoot a bunch of people. We live in a time that it was unprecedented. You know, when I was young, you never would even have dreamed that somebody would do something so horrible, so evil. It didn't enter into the hearts of people. This is some of the victims up, up here 
I'm not going to put a picture of the killer up here. I'm not going to tell his name even. But this is tragic. It says in 2 Timothy 3, I used to read this when I was first saved 40 years ago, and I would read this and it would say, you know, the last days, there's going to be perilous times. And perilous in the Greek really means dangerous. There's times it's dangerous. We're living in a world today where people could kill you simply because you're black or you're Hispanic or even if you're white. They'll kill you just because you're Christian. They'll kill you because of your politics. They'll kill you for any number of reasons. We live in a perilous time. Why am I talking about all this? Because we're the church. We represent Jesus Christ in this age, in this world. This is the world, like it or not, that we've been born into. For such a time as this, he's chosen you and me to be his representation in this world. And representing Jesus in a time that's dangerous and perilous, that word perilous can not just mean dangerous, it also can mean hard to do. You live in a time and it's hard to do Christian things. It's hard to represent Jesus in a world that's so messed up. And I just want to say this. It's not time for the church to divide people. It's not time for the church to hate people. It's not time for the church to look down their nose at people. It's time for the church to stand up and do what it's called to do, and that's love people regardless of the perilous times we live in. It's our love that must endure to the end, it says in Matthew 24. Those that endure to the end will be truly saved because it's our love that's going to be threatened because of the increased wickedness and violence that's in the world. Love has to increase in the church because love is greater than hate. And if we think we can fight hatred with hatred, we, are, we don't know what spirit we're of. Victor Leal, he's a Hispanic business leader. He owns a restaurant here in town, of course, Leal's Restaurant. We all know who he is probably. Also been a politician or ran for office. And he wrote this past week. I mean, he, this, this thing he talks about happened a year ago, but just this past week after this happened in El Paso, he posted this to his Facebook account in response to what happened in El Paso. He said, I had lunch with a white nationalist. That's what he titled this little post. He said, it wasn't anything either of us planned to do. It was just, it just kind of happened. He said, a little over a year ago, he was working in this restaurant in the kitchen, and he heard the back door, a knock on the back door, and he was expecting a delivery, but when he opened the door, instead of the delivery guy, he saw a kid, maybe 17 years old, and he was on a beat-up bicycle. He was clothed in tattered rags. The kid says, do you have anything that I can eat, some scraps or something? And Victor said, sure, come on in. I'll make you a plate. Said Victor said he, he sat down with him at the break table and he watched this kid as he just inhaled the food. And the kid had a lot of tattoos on him. And Victor says, hey, what's the deal with all your tattoos? And he said, and what's the deal with this swastika on your arm? You know, the kid was eating real fast and he looked up and he said, white Aryans. And Victor said, wow, that's interesting. He said, so you believe you're superior to minorities? And the kid replied, yep, taking another bite. 
The irony was unbelievable. Victor says, his attitude didn't anger me. In fact, it made me laugh. We talked for a while, and he told me he was raised with his beliefs, and his father had recently kicked him out of the house. This kid was homeless. But he had a goodness, a goodness in his eyes, a small spark that had not been extinguished by the hatred which he had been indoctrinated. He finished eating, and after we talked for a while, we shook hands, and I invited him to come back, and I prayed for him. Then the young man hopped on his bike and rode off. And then Victor just records his thoughts when he's remembering this encounter. He said, we're all reeling now with pain, trying to keep ourselves and our families safe in the wake of so much horror and tragedy. Some inspired by hate aimed at the Hispanic community. We are also deeply divided Folks of different races, religions, political persuasions seem to be at each other's throats. As for me, I will not succumb to the temptation to return to hatred. I choose not to live in fear. I hope and I pray that if I'm ever in a situation of mortal danger, that I'll be the one saving the lives of those near me. However, I want to live in that manner daily as well. I will not allow my fear or my hatred to be my masters. I found that when I sit and break bread with folks that are very different than me, I'm able to see our shared humanity and I learn more of what has shaped them. I think tacos are the answer to our dilemma. <laughs> we should intentionally share a plate with somebody we don't understand or are uncomfortable to be around and we should see where the dialogue takes us. Be brave. Be brave. Be courageous, dear friends. Fear not. We were created for greatness and love by Abba, Father. I think. I really love that. I love that because it reminds me of this place. You know, I... I talk to God all the time about that I so many times feel clueless because you guys are such an eclectic group of people. And as God's drugged this net in our city and he's brought everybody in here, I sometimes don't really know what to do. But I, do, I stay submitted to God all the time. And I ask people to come up here and share testimonies because I want you to feel a, a little bit of how I feel. I want you to know the diversity of this group when a Charlie Rowe that comes up and talks or a Stephanie Hansen or a Frankie Garcia. All these testimonies I have shared because we have this unique opportunity, this opportunity to listen to people that are so different than we are so that we can gain understanding instead of passing judgment before we even know them by looking at someone's skin or looking at the way they dress or looking at something about them, and we pass judgment before we even know them. When we have a unique opportunity to do like Victor Leal did, to sit down with this young man and listen to his story instead of judging him and laughing at him in his face, but to love him, to feed him, to pray for him. Isn't that what Jesus said? Feed those that are hungry, even if they're your enemy. 
I'm asking us all just to share a plate of tacos with these people, <laughs> to listen to them, to get to know them. I'm not asking you to agree with everything. I've had people, you know, get upset with me because of some of the things I allow people to share in the church. And I just want to say to you, I'm not asking you to agree with anything. I'm asking you to love everyone here because they love you <laughs> and you're as different from them as they are from you. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. We all think we're the normal one. I don't know if you know that. It's giving you a heads up. Testimony today is from someone that <clears throat> you may not agree with. And um, I'm not asking you to. What I'm asking you to do is to hear her and to love her because she loves you. I'm asking that you would listen with understanding. That you would try to glean something. This young lady has been on our praise team for quite some time. And um, she's married. She happens to be gay. And she's married to Mari back there. They have two beautiful children up there. Mari, wave at everybody. And um, I've asked her to share her story because I've heard it, and it's moving. I'm giving you this time because if you don't want to listen, I don't want to pass judgment on you either, but that's up to you. That's your free choice. But I really would like it if you would just sit and try to understand and try to love her the way that I know God does. So, Leticia, where are you? Come on up here and share your story. Father, I am. Um, I pray for Leticia right now. And I know, God, that um, her heart is for you and it's for this church. And I pray over her, God, right now that her words would be your words. And I ask, God, that we would listen to her with um, just try to understand, God, maybe a world or a situation that we don't even know about. But, God, we do want to say that we know she's your child and we want to declare our love for her and say, God, that we want to love her as much as you do. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, honey. Is it good? Okay. I don't know if Pastor Daryl knew this, but two nights ago, I had a nightmare that someone stood up and shot me for speaking. And that's just the reality I live in. How would I get my family out? How would I protect them? More importantly, them. So as I was preparing for today, I had to relive a lot of painful things I went through. And that sucks. But it was also really awesome because I got to remember how great God was in all of it. He was faithful. He was never not there. Jeremiah 1, 5 through 8 says, Before I formed you in the womb, <laughs> that's my baby, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. The Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you. My parents met in church and I was raised Pentecostal, which basically means I was raised in a church very similar to Moore. The Holy Spirit was present in my house and in my church, and I knew his voice 
for as long as I can remember. I was saved at five, and I remember that moment so vividly. At nine, I was baptized in my above-ground pool by my dad during home group. I was involved in youth group. I loved my youth leaders, and I hung out with them outside of church all the time. In college at WT, I was involved in FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I would spend my summers with my best friends, volunteering at camps around Texas, pouring into middle school and high school students. And those are some of the best college memories. I think I went for that instead of the diploma. In college, I also learned the importance of friendships. You can't just go to church and be alone. You need people in your life who push you in your walk with God, who challenge you, who call you out when you're not being your best. So all my best friends were from FCA. I say all this because I want you to know faith has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. The Holy Spirit has been one of my best friends for as long as I can remember. Standing up here being given this opportunity, I know this is a big deal. And God prepared me for this day years ago. I have practiced this so many times in my head. They say, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach him how to fish and he'll eat forever. When I was in third grade and able to read, my mom taught me if I had a question, I had to go to the encyclopedias, and there's a lot of them, and pick the correct lettered encyclopedia, look in the index, and start doing my own research. And if there was a word I didn't understand, I got the dictionary, which was you know, just as thick, and I looked up that word, and any other word I didn't understand, and I learned, and I taught myself. I'm thankful for this. I knew how to Google before Google was a thing. <laughs> and I'm really good at Google now. She taught me not to take everything at face value, not to just take someone's opinion, but to go and learn for myself. When I was 12, I started realizing I was different. I wasn't like my little sister, and I didn't know why. So I did what I knew how to do, and I got the encyclopedias. I secretly grabbed the G and the H, and I looked up gay and homosexual. I don't know if my mom knew I was doing that, because I hid it, and I didn't want her to know. But I knew I wanted to understand. I remember what I heard at church. You're an abomination. You'd be separated from God. You wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God. You were not just a sinner, but you were the worst of all sinners. And you were going to hell. But how could this be? I loved Jesus. I loved him forever. I knew his voice. How could I be this terrible thing? So then began my journey. For 12 years, I prayed and prayed and prayed and begged God to change me. And at 24 years old, I had had enough. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't keep hating myself. I couldn't keep living this lie. And at that time in my life, just so you know, I was reading the Bible every single morning, spending time with God. It wasn't like I was off living this crazy life. I was still spending time with him. And so I said, God, you got to take this, or you got to show me what to do, because I can't do this. I can't keep hating myself. I can't keep lying. Just take it. And I started researching again. I found a documentary called For the Bible Tells Me So, and it talks about the right religious side and LGBT. And it just delves, it dives into all the scriptures. And you hear from really smart people. And I even reached out to one of the people from the documentary and emailed her and asked her and just talked to her just to have a safe place. I bought books that were on the for side and the against side. I didn't take this decision lightly. 
It was important. It was my life. Laying on my floor in my apartment, just crying, begging God, like, just give me the answer. I remember hearing him say in the sweetest voice, Leticia, I made you this way. I gave you your life. I gave you your faith. I gave you your family for a reason. So you could be the voice. You could talk to those who others won't. You could be a bridge. So I felt great. I had peace with God. But then I had to tell my mom. So I called her the day before she was flying to Houston to see me. Sitting on my bed, as soon as she answered, I started crying. And all I could say was, Mom, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. I tried so hard. I'm gay. Coming out is terrifying. I feel like I'm doing it with y'all right now. People lose their homes, their families, their jobs, their church, their friends, and their lives over those two words. And then I heard her say, Mom, or she said, Leticia, I've always known. It's okay. I love you. I'll always love you. And she was the easy conversation. <laughs> and then I told my friends, and my best friends were from FCA. And I thought they would be like by my side and they'd be praying with me and helping me along. But that wasn't how it was. I started receiving emails. One of the emails said things like, Leticia, have you taken this to the cross? Have you truly been on your knees about this? Are you being a witness for Jesus? Are you being a disciple to your sister who looks up to you? I had prayed for 12 years. I had been on my knees about it. My boss, who I was close friends with, started sending me emails of all the scriptures that I had read my whole life, of why I was wrong, why I was making a bad decision, she asked me if I wanted to go to counseling, and I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Like, I could talk to someone professional and work through this. And I showed up, and she had talked to the counselor and told her that me and my dad didn't get along growing up. She left out the part where God led me to spend the summer with my dad, and our relationship healed. So the whole session became about how my dad and I not getting along was why I was gay. I never went back to counseling. <laughs> Looking back, I realized they were trying to do this out of love. They used the name of God in front of it. And every time I received an email, I lost faith in people. I lost trust. But not just people, God's people. And I cried, God, why? You told me this. You told me this. Why is this so hard? And he just told me he loved me. And he kept giving me hope for a day like today. Six years ago, a year after I came out, my mom introduced me to the love of my life. Three months later, I married her. When my sister got married, it was easy for her to find a church. They're newlyweds. It's exciting. We didn't want anyone to know we were married. A lot of people still think we're sisters. <laughs> but we wanted a church. We didn't want to go somewhere where people were going to try and pray away the gay or pray for us to change. Or We wanted a place where we could raise our family, where they'd pray that God would be the center of our marriage, that we would do what we felt called to do and share his love with those that didn't believe he loved them. Because not every LGBT person is fortunate enough to be raised in a family like mine. 
Some of them lost their families. Three years ago, my nephew got dedicated in this church, and I was terrified. <laughs> but I knew I couldn't tell him when he was older, no, I didn't show up because I was being a scaredy cat. So I came. I was going to sit in the back. We walked in the doors, and Chantel and Jennifer hugged us very big. And I was just trying. I didn't want to be seen. And we actually had to sit on the second row. And Catherine was singing, which was amazing. And they started singing Good, Good Father. And I know normally when we're on that part, it's like three times, then we go to the next part. But it was like a million times. God knew what I needed to hear. He knew my heart was longing for a home. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. That's who I am. I might be Kay, but it's not who I am. It's just a part of me. We never stopped coming. <laughs> Funny thing, though, is Perry, I don't see him, came to our house, and he heard me singing. He's like, you should sing at our church. And I was like, you should see my wedding pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and a year later, I was singing on this stage. And they had seen my wedding pictures. <laughs> the difference in what this church has done and what Pastor Daryl and Catherine and all of the people who have become our family have done is that even if they didn't agree or understand, they made us feel loved. They gave us a place to grow into whatever ministry God's calling us to. This isn't what I would have chosen. It's scary and it's hard, but I'm thankful for it. Everyone has a seat at the table. And if you don't understand someone, and I'm guilty of this. I was guilty with Charlie. I didn't understand. Just get to know them. Like Pastor Daryl, I waited four years to sit down with him, to meet him. And then that door opened, and he wanted to know my story. And he never made me feel unsafe or unloved. He asked questions about things he didn't understand so that he could know. So like I said, there's a seat at the table for everyone. And I'm thankful for y'all because my children have been dedicated here. I've been given an opportunity to sing, to speak to y'all right now. My daughter comes home and says, I got a word from God that she heard. That's my greatest desire, is that they are raised the same way I was raised, to know the Holy Spirit, to know they are loved by God, and to share that with everyone. Thank you, Leticia. You know, um, I'm just going to speak for a few more minutes. I've been a Christian for 40, 43 years and um, always been in church. In my bad times and my good times, I've always been in church. I love church. But one thing I've observed about church over the years of the 43 years is there's just so little understanding about people that are different than us. There's so little understanding of, you know, Arabs, 
Jews, Muslims, even gay people. There's so little understanding sometimes even of black culture, Hispanic culture. So little understanding and, 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 and so little empathy. And so little tolerance in the Christian world. And I wonder why. I wonder if it's because of what Jesus hit the nail on the head whenever he talked to the religious community when he was here the first time. And then in his first sermon, or one of his very first sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke to them and he said, and in most translations say you've heard it said, but I love the way the Passion translates it because he said, your ancestors have been taught that it's okay to love some people and hate some people. He said, you've been taught that all your life. And I wonder if he hit the nail on the head for the religious and even the Christian community in that we're raised in this environment where we've been taught traditionally and even biblically that it's okay sometimes to love people that agree with you and hate people that don't. I just, I just think the church has been on the wrong side of so many issues for so long. Now, I'm not telling you to agree with anything. I'm not trying to push any agenda. It's just that I look back in history and I, and I do like to study and I do like to read and I do like to read about Christian theology. You know, how in the world did white people ever think it was okay to own black people? How did, how did any, the framers of our Constitution write, they wrote the words, all men are created equal before God and go home and have people that they owned, that they bought, traded, and sold. How, how's that? I think it's what Jesus nailed. You've been taught this stuff. You've been taught this stuff in your home, traditionally, in the church. People have justified their hatred. Jesus said, you, you, you've been raised to hate people and to love certain people. Some people deserve it. Some people don't. I mean, how in the world did the, the world, and it's still this way, so many countries, how did we oppress women and think that that was okay? They couldn't even vote in our country for 150 years after the country was formed. 150 years, men kept women from voting because they just didn't understand politics? How did that happen? It's because they had been taught it. Women had been taught it. They taught it at home, and they taught it in church. That's how you keep order. I wonder if we've been on the wrong side of so many issues because we don't allow ourselves to be challenged. Because we can't step back and say, what would Jesus do? Because I'll tell you this, I see time after time after time that Jesus went and extended grace and love and a place in his kingdom to people that other people didn't think deserved it. He did it over and over and over. From Nicodemus to the woman at the well to the woman caught in adultery, he did it over and over and over. I wonder what he would do today. 
he didn't give us any clear instructions about that particular issue. I just wonder about how German Lutheran people could, could be raised to think it's okay to torch Jewish businesses, could be raised to believe that it was okay to expel Jews out of their nation just because they're Jews, or to finally exterminate them as the final solution to get rid of them from their society. These were not ignorant savages. These were brilliant German Lutheran people where the genesis of our Protestant movement through Martin Luther began in Germany, and it began the Lutheran church. How could these people be so deceived because they had been taught it at home and in church? I'm saying I'm not asking you to agree with anything. What I'm saying to you is don't be narrow-minded. Don't be closed-minded because if you are, you may find yourself on the wrong side of the fence. It's not time for the church to cause division and strife and hatred. It's time for the church to love and for us to overcome evil with good. It's time for our love to overcome the hatred that's in this world and not buy into this stuff. It's just time. Jesus asked us to love our enemies, and I'm standing up here as your pastor asking you to love people. Jesus is asking you to do something a lot harder he says, love enemies, love those that persecute you, that curse you, that, that use you. He was saying that love them. And love doesn't just mean tolerate. Love doesn't just mean give them a, sm a fake smile. Love doesn't just mean give them a sideways hug. Love means love them. Give them a place, give them honor. Respect them, get to know them. That's what love means. And as your pastor, I'm standing up here, I'm asking you, to love some people that I've come and I've brought them up here to give testimonies, I'm asking you to love somebody that loves you. I'm asking for you to love somebody that prays for you. I'm asking you for to love somebody that cares about you. And Jesus was asking you to love your, your enemies. You see how far we've drifted from the true meaning of what Jesus taught? No greater love than a person could have than he would give his life... <coughs> He would lay down his life for his friend. <coughs> Richard Rohr, and I'm going to end with this. I love this statement out of Divine Dance. He wrote, in short, we've made Jesus an exclusive Savior instead of a totally inclusive Savior that he was meant to be. As my friend Brian McLaren writes, or likes to put it, Jesus is the way. He's not standing in the way. And that's the truth. He's a savior for the whole world. Whenever Adam and Eve were on the earth, they represented all of mankind. And when they sinned, it represented all of mankind. And by Genesis 3.15, God had already figured out what he was going to do. Of course, he had already figured it out before the world began. But in Genesis 3.15, we have our first messianic prophecy. And what he's saying is, I've got a solution for all of mankind. This was before there was anybody that was black, anybody that was white, anybody that was straight, anybody that was gay, anybody that was Republican, anybody that was Democrat. He said, I'm, I'm looking through history from the, this side all the way forward, and Jesus is going to cover it all. That's what he's saying. 
He didn't wait to see how we turned out to see if we were gonna, he was going to extend grace. While we were yet sinners, he died for us, all of us. And anyone that wants to claim that free gift of eternal life simply has to receive it through faith, and God will save them. That's great news. That's great news. I love you all, and I hope that um, you've heard my heart today. I hope you understand, and um, I hope that you'll take everything to the Lord. I, um, if you're ministering today, come on up. And uh, let's stand up, and I want to pray. And I want to pray for all the hearts in the room. And I ask God that your Holy Spirit would begin to illuminate hearts in the room, God. Maybe you've been raised in a, an environment like I was, where you grew up thinking you were better than other groups of people. Maybe you've been raised in a, a home that told you that it was okay to hate certain people. And I just want to pray for your heart today. And that's why I wanted you to put your hand on your heart before we started. And I just want to tell you today that God doesn't work in hate. He works in love. And so I pray for every heart, God, that's in this room today, that you'd soften it, that you'd open it, that you'd give us greater understanding for those things that we don't understand, God. Challenge us, Lord. Let us never get to a place where we're closed-minded. Let us always approach, God, your throne, knowing that we want what you want. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We thank you that we can hear your voice. We thank you, God, that we can hear you directly for ourselves. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you need, if you need prayer this morning, we're just asking that you could come up and get it for any reason whatsoever. But, you know, if your heart is troubled, I'm asking you to come up and get prayer. Don't leave without it. If you really uh, ever want to visit, my email is on the website, and you can certainly contact me and we can visit. So... I love you, and I hope you have a great day. Be blessed.